God is love. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God's character is, if you want to know what God's demeanor towards you is, God favors you, God is not against you, God loves you, because that's who God is. God is love. Uh, We are in a uh, series right now, and we're talking about uh, this idea that our orthodoxy affects our orthoproxy, uh, which is a fancy way of saying that what we believe, like what we actually deep down believe, so not just what we tell other people that we believe, not just what we post on social media that we believe, but what we actually believe deep down affects the way we live. Uh, And as we go through this, I have a pretty deep uh, agenda, and that's that I want you to believe uh, in the words that we just sang, that Jesus is Lord of all. Uh, I want you to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I want you to believe that he actually is God. I want you to make him Lord over all of the things in your life. So you are, as you're trying to figure out how you're going to spend your time, as you're looking at different decisions, relationship decisions, Valentine decisions, as you're looking at money decisions, that everything in your life is under this banner of I am making God in charge of everything. Because like we talked about that first week, that we are becoming to believe people that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we can actually have life because in him is really the only way to have eternal life now and forever. Uh, And this week, uh, what I want to talk about is potentially, uh, what I love about our church is that we're all kind of at different marks along that scale. So some of us would be like, oh yeah, no, I'm in, like, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I believe he's the Son of God, I'm experiencing some life in his name. Some of us are like, just like kind of checking things out, We're, you know, we have lots of doubts, we have lots of questions, and some of us are kind of in the middle. But for some of us, or maybe for some of our friends, for some of our kids, for some of our relatives, as we think about the journey of really totally believing, making Jesus Lord over everything in our life. There's these like hurdles sometimes in the way. There's like these barriers. Uh, there's these things where it's like, you know, I, I want to believe, but I just like, I, I, I don't believe yet. I, or for some of us, you can go to the next one, Ferran. Uh, for some of us, I stopped believing. Like I used to really believe, but then something happened, or I learned some stuff, and I kind of stopped believing. Or for some of us, it's like gone to the point where it's like, I've like seen enough, or I've experienced something in Christianity, or whatever that might look like. And now I just, because of what I've, this hurdle, I just refuse to believe. Uh, and we want to help if there's a way to be able to maybe move beyond at least one of those hurdles. And the hurdle we want to talk about today is this, is that the reason why some of us can't like totally jump into that idea of really believing and putting everything that we are under the banner of what God is, is this picture that we have in our heads. And maybe it's a picture that we caught from our parents, or maybe we caught it from friends, or maybe we heard it in the church that we grew up in. But it's this picture in our mind of this, like, just angry, vengeful, you know, throwing lightning bolts, whatever your picture is of God. And we just, 
worry. Like, is, if that's who God really is, can I, like, afford to risk putting everything I have under that? Uh, and this is a, a pretty big deal. Uh, earlier this week, on Thursday, uh, I was in this room, and I was in uh, with about uh, 40 other local pastors. Uh, so there's a group called the uh, 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 Capital Region Council of Church. That's the right name. Uh, and so they uh, network with all kinds of different churches all over the region. And so there's about 40 different uh, pastors in here. And they were, it's pretty cool. It was like from all kinds of different Christian tribes. So there was like Catholic priest in here and Episcopal priest and uh, Baptist and Methodist and just kind of all over the, the stream. Hey, hold up on that one, Ron. Uh, all kinds of these like different uh, groups that were kind of hanging out in here. And one of the things that we were talking about is why is churches in such decline? Uh, because a lot of these churches, uh, similar to the building that we're actually standing in right now, not that long ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, were pretty full. I mean, hundreds of people showing up on a Sunday morning, lots of activity. And one of the common things that they talked about is that what happened is something over the last 20, 30, is that the kids who were in those churches 20, 30 years ago, and they were there because their parents brought them or their parents made them go, whatever that looked like in their families, that a lot of them, as kind of as time has gone on, they have, when they got to the point where they can make their own decision and they could decide whether they were going to go to church or not, or they were going to follow God or not, a lot of them have said, you know what, I'm out. And a lot of those folks who kind of had some church experience growing up have just kind of moved beyond and don't really want anything to do about it. And there's lots of different reasons for why people have decided that they don't want anything to do with church or Christianity. But for some of them, it goes back to this issue of the anger of God. Uh, and we know this so over the last, again, kind of 20, 30 years or so, there's been a rise of these kind of very intellectual, very well-spoken kind of critics of Christianity. Uh, they often go by the uh, title of the New Atheist. Uh, They're very smart, lectures at universities, uh, and I I'm always someone who I, I love to read. I love to kind of expose myself to as many things as possible, and so I have read a number of their books uh, because if they're critiquing Christianity, and part of their critique of Christianity is not just trying to critique, is this true or not? One of their big critiques is like, is this even like good? And is maybe these beliefs actually harmful for our society? And, and I always want to be like as open and humble to that as possible because I have kind of built my whole life and my career off of the idea that Jesus is Lord. And so if someone has this like really articulate critique that can like say that, man, what you've been living your whole life in is actually wrong and harmful, I want to know that because I've kind of like put my whole life into this. And one of their kind of key critiques of what is kind of so wrong, they would say, about God and especially Christianity and all religions, but especially Christianity, is this idea of this image of this dangerous God. Uh, so one of those uh, new atheists is a guy named Richard Dawkins. Uh, I've read a couple of his books, and here's what uh, Richard Dawkins uh, says. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infocidal, genocidal, malevolent bully. 
which kind of raises the question, is, is that who God is? And if that's who God is, is that who you want to make Lord over your life? And here's the difficulty with it, is I would love to be able to say, well, you know, of course that's not who God is. Let's just kind of write that off. But this critique isn't just like brought out of thin air. This is a critique that he came up with by reading the Bible and studying the Bible. And there are different passages and different stories in here that at least at first glance, or a shallow read as I'll submit today, they sure kind of seem like that that might be who God is. Uh, I'm going to show you uh, just uh, one of those. Uh, there's uh, different ones that we could turn to, but this one is from the book of Joshua. Uh, so uh, the story of Joshua is uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, it comes, uh, there's a nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and then this guy named Moses came in, and he led the people out, and they walked through the Red Sea. It's kind of this amazing miracle, and then they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, and they eventually ended up in kind of modern-day Israel, and God was going to give them this land. That's what they were promised, and so Joshua is the story of the conquest, is what it's called, of the land of Israel, and it was a conquest because this group of Israelites were coming in but there was already people that were living there, and they had cities, and they had villages, and so they were already living there, and now these Israelites were coming in, and God had promised that this is now going to be your land. And so this is them, the nation of Israel, coming into this land that God had promised them, this city called Jericho, uh, and this is the story. It was on the seventh day. They got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. So they've been marching around the city for a couple days now. Uh, just not attacking, just marching. It's kind of cool. Uh, in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. So the whole nation of Israel marching around the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that everyone charged straight in, and they took the city, and they devoted the city to the Lord. Hold for a second. Now, that, that story so far is like kind of like a cool story. It's like, you know, God's kind of, they're not like being violent. They're like walking around the city, and the walls fall down, and... Uh, Growing up, I grew up in church, and this is like a big story in like Sunday school growing up. I don't know if any of you guys like went to Sunday school, but like growing up, we would like act out this story. So we'd get, you know, get all, you know, the you know, elementary kids, and you know, we would like, you know, get our little noisemakers, and we would like march and we'd like set up a blocks or something like that. And this is our city, and we would like march around the city seven times, and then after the seventh time, we'd blow the noisemakers, and we'd yell, and then we'd like kick down the wall, and like, yeah, you know, God tore down the walls, you know, you know, look at, you know what, God can do. But if for some reason, like in Sunday school, uh, or maybe if you grew up in a, a church environment, if you grew up in church, they had flannel graph, and we had flannel graph growing up, and you have, you know, the little stories, you know, there. For some reason, that's where the story ended, and then they didn't go on to this next part, at least in my Sunday school. But here's what the Bible continues with the story. And destroyed the nation of Israel, God's people, meant to take over this nation. And they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, 
young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. I mean, what is that? I mean, these are, I mean, thousands of years ago, but these were like real men and real women. These were real kids. These were real babies. They had stories and a favorite color. They joked around. They played on the floor. And this nation comes in and just decimates all of them. I mean, they're just their blood covering the ground. Like, what a, a sick, kind of twisted story. I mean, if this happened at any point in the world, we heard about an entire civilization just being destroyed in one day, we would say that that is like, this is like ethnic cleansing. This is, this is wrong, right? And so how do we like put this together with this God of love who, is this the kind of stuff that God ordains? What do we do with that? Uh, and it's, it's, it's a difficult question that we have to like sit in because again, what our goal is is that we want to be people who make Jesus Lord over all. Uh, so a, a common prayer uh, that we pray is uh, this prayer where we like surrender our lordship. And so we, like, we say we surrender our preferences and our prejudices. And my preference is I don't want a God that says genocide's okay. <laughs> my prejudice is that I want to say that like, let's just kind of take that story and put that to the side. I don't want to have to believe in a God like that, but it's not if we're being like intellectually honest, like we can't just like cherry pick the stories that we like and put aside, you know, we have to say, I, I want to surrender everything under God. And so I need to, who is actually God? And then I need to like obey whatever that looks like. But here's what I want to say to us today. So as we look at this issue of the anger violence of and this kind of does what I hope is like an incredibly troubling question. Uh, here's what I want to say. Is God angry? No. That is not who God is. Is God petty and unjust, an unforgiving control freak? a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, emphasizal, genocidal, is that who God is? No. Is. Does God condone murder and genocide and ethnic cleansing and child sacrifice and violence? Is that who God is? No. Does God need or want Revenge, appeasement, or payment? No. Does God practice redemptive violence, which is the belief that violence saves, that somehow that even though this seems like a really terrible war, this seems like this, but somehow it's, the end is going to justify the means. Is that what God does? No. Actually, I would say to all of those, emphatically, no. That is not the God that we serve. That is not the God that we follow. And so the question that you would very rightfully ask is, 
how do you know? How can you say that, especially when you can look at different passages of the Bible that seem to be saying different? Like, are you just like playing fast and loose with the Bible and kind of taking the things that you don't like? And like, how can you say so emphatically that that's not who God is? Uh, And here's very clearly the reason, is that what we uh, are trying to do, uh, what I'm trying to do, what we as a church is that what we believe, as we're trying to look at kind of our characteristics of what we believe about everything, is that we believe that the way in which we view God and the way in which we view the Bible is always through the lens of Jesus. Uh, Here's how we say it. We understand who God is. That's how we get our understanding of what God is like. What is God's character like? What is he about? And we read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Uh, We believe that the Word of God is primarily not a book, although this definitely gives us glimpses into what God is like, and in some ways is the Word of God. Primarily, the Word of God is not a book. The Word of God is a person, and the Word became flesh and blood among us. Uh, A way uh, to think about it, uh, last week, uh, Heather had a great analogy of like a tuning in of a radio. And so like, when you can't hear anything in the static and then you kind of tune it and you can see, you can really hear it directly. Uh, a little bit built off that same idea, um, but this is with uh, binoculars. And so the idea is that in the Bible, the Bible shows us a characteristic of what God is like. You can turn to any passage in the Bible and it will show you what it, God is like. But... When you look at the Old Testament of the Bible, or really when you look at anything that's not Jesus, it's giving us like a taste of what God is, but it's not the full picture of what God is. And so if you think about binoculars, so if I'm going to look at Jared there, what's up, dude? So if I was to put the focus all the way over here, and I look at Jared, whew, I, can, I can see some stuff. I can see he's, he's blue, he's kind of furry. And, and I, I can see some, some nice stuff about him. But there's a lot that, like, it, everything that I see is accurate. But there's a lot that I, it's not in focus yet. I really can't, like, fully see him yet. But if I keep twisting and twisting and, whoo, hey, buddy. I can see the, the color of his eyes. I can see he brushed his teeth really well. Uh, I, 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 his beard's combed. The more I focus the clearer picture I can see of exactly who he is. And that's the lens in which we understand and read the Bible, and that's the lens in which we understand God, that we can get pictures of who God is like. But the clearest picture, the way in which it most comes into like focus, I'm like, oh, now all the stuff that like wasn't, I could kind of see some pictures, but now it's completely clear, is in and is only in, Jesus. Uh, Here's uh, one way we say it. If you go to our website uh, and look at kind of our core beliefs, or if you pick up one of these off the table, this is our membership covenant. Uh, We have six different core beliefs that we believe, and it's really in all of them. But this is what we say about Jesus. Because Jesus is king, and Jesus, he provides the clearest picture and understanding of God that we will ever have because He is God. The way we understand what God is like, how God behaves, is by looking at Jesus. And so, if we want to understand, okay, how 
when, when someone is misbehaving, when someone is not doing, if someone is on the outside of God, how does God respond? If we want to understand this question of God's anger and violence and what all does that look like, and how did, if we want to understand that, then we need to look first and most clear at Jesus and what Jesus says. And here's what Jesus says. Uh, this is from Matthew. So you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is even angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's not just murder. Don't even be angry. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be children of your father in heaven. I want you to be like your father in heaven. I want you to do the things that God does. And what does God do? God loves his enemies. Uh, or this is from uh, Luke. So, but to those who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? I mean, come on, even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? I mean, even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? I mean, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. And then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because, what is God like? He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. What is God like? God is like Jesus. Because Jesus is God. And Jesus says that the way in which we treat people who wrong us is that we love them and we forgive them even to the point of being taken advantage of. And the reason why we do that is because that's what God does. That's what God is like. And so therefore, we have to read the Bible and understand God through that lens of what 
Jesus says if we believe that Jesus actually is the Lord of all. Uh, I want to read you uh, a quote. I read this a couple weeks ago, but it's worth reading again. This is from a guy named um, Marty Solomon. He just frames this so well. He says, one must be confronted with the authority of Jesus and the gospel accounts. Everything that the follower of Jesus interprets in the Bible has to be seen through the lens of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus. When Jesus says the right way to interpret the text is through love God and love others, you are now forced to read your Bible through that lens as if you are a follower of Rabbi Jesus. You do not get to disagree. Please consider that whatever the interpretation of the book is, it must be aligned with Jesus' yoke of love God and love other people. Jesus said that all the law and all the prophets are interpreted through that lens, period. And so, that's how we have to read it. Whatever we are supposed to learn from the book of Joshua and the conquest and whatever happened or didn't happen there and whatever... It's supposed to make us more loving of other people. As a follower of Jesus, I absolutely have no other option. Uh, And then this is important. Because as you read everything through the lens of Jesus and understand that it becomes glaringly clear and focused who God is and what God is all about. But even if you... The idea is that God doesn't change. God has always been the same. And so while it might not be like always in clear focus, this same image of God as loving and forgiving and God who is not about violent redemption, it is throughout the entire Bible. And you can know this. Uh, if you were to go today or sometime this week and you were to go visit one of our synagogues here in the area and you were to go have a conversation with the rabbi and you were to say, hey, like, you were to open that Dawkins, that um, Richard Dawkins quote and say, is this who you believe God is? Like, I mean, I know you don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but like you, you know, take the Old Testament of the Bible very seriously. So do you believe that that's who God is? Is this unjust, benevolent, you know, is that who God is? And they would say, no, no, that, that's not who we believe God is. And they would probably point you to a text like this in the Old Testament in Exodus. That the Lord, the Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger abounding in love and is abounding in love and faithfulness and maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion of sin that that's who god is and so this is i hope pretty good news for some of us this is good news uh if maybe you're in the room and you've been kind of thinking about the idea of following god and putting some of the things in your life under the authority of God. But maybe one of the hang-ups for you has been maybe it was like an intellectual block of this kind of idea of anger of God. Or maybe it was just an experience of like your upbringing of just that this is, you know, the God you are presented with on a regular basis. I have good news. That is not who God is. God is better than that. God is like Jesus. Uh, This is good news uh, for some of us uh, who are parents. Uh, I've had the experience over the last couple years, maybe if you're parents you have, and you want to read the Bible to your kids, and you you get to some of those stories like we read, and 
you get to these parts that just seem like they're so counter to what the love of God that we, we want them to live out and that we want to live out and that we want to applaud. And then like, you're trying to how what do I tell my kids about this? Do I need to like, just kind of like swallow this and be like, yeah, I, I guess sometimes God's just a jerk and deal with it. Like I, I, God's God, so he gets to do whatever he wants. And so like, you shouldn't kill people, but if God wants to, that's fine. Like, what do you have to do with that as a parent to make these kind of weird I have good news. God is better than that. God is like Jesus. And this is especially good news uh, if you, like uh, I find myself, and I'm talking to different friends, uh, people I run with, maybe it's people you work with, and you're starting to talk to them about God and the Bible, and you're like, oh, I've been going to church, I'm getting into this, and uh, maybe you have a friend that's like pretty smart, pretty educated, and they have some of these lectures in university, maybe they've read some of these books, and they're like, how do you believe in a God like that? Like, don't you know the kind of like terrible genocidal ethnic cleansings that are in the Bible? Like, how do you possibly put your faith in a God like that? And you can look them squarely in the eye with love and say, yeah, that version of I don't believe in that God either. That's not who God is. And when you read deeper into these stories, and especially when you read them through the lens of Jesus, who I believe is God, God is better than that. God is love. God forgives and forgives and forgives. Uh, now, uh, the question that is surely swirling uh, in some of your minds is I, I hope that you accept all that and you, as good news. Like, I don't know if there's anyone's like hanging on, but I want God to be mean. Like, I hope that like, everyone longs for a God that is as forgiving and wonderful as everything we hope Jesus is. But some of you might say, wait, okay, so God isn't angry and, you know, you know killing people. I like that. But like, isn't there like something though? Like, I mean, doesn't like God, like, okay, God isn't angry. God, God isn't angry. But doesn't God get angry sometimes? Like, isn't that a part of it? And very succinctly, when we spend as much time on this, uh, I would say, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you, you might like throw out some of the verses that we looked at. If you know, said, you shall not murder, that's good. But like, if you do murder, you're going to be subject to judgment. Like, What's that about? Like, that sounds like something. Uh, or we looked at the Exodus verse uh, that, you know, God is abounding in love. Go to the next one. Uh, but they're so slow to anger. Okay, so it's, it's slow to anger, but still there's like, there's something there. And here's how I would answer that is, is God angry? Is that who God is? Is that his character? No, unequivocally no. But does God get angry? Sure. But we need to requalify what anger is. And I think that most of us can do this pretty well. Because if, if, especially if you're a parent, if you've had parents, if you've been around parents, like, kind of the, what's kind of the worst kind of parent? At one level, like, the worst level parent would be someone who is, like, an angry parent who's, like, vindictive and abusive and controlling. And, like, that's obviously not a good, a good parent. And some of us have had experience uh, with that kind of a parent. Or maybe we're like, in the process of even repenting from being that kind of a parent. And obviously, that's not a good thing. And that's not who God is. But on the other hand, it's not a great parent who has, like, no rules and, like, no control, right? Uh, I can think of... Uh, 
two different uh, individuals that I grew up with. Uh, and one, and he's kind of super into the, the party scene stuff. But somehow he always got like the most amazing, like all of his reports, all of his homework. It was always like done amazingly, exceptionally well, which is like his friends kind of amazed us because it seemed like he was never doing any work, but his work was always spectacular. And we found out the reason was is because his parents knew he wasn't doing any work. His parents didn't want him to fail, and so his parents did all of his homework for him. Is that a, is that a good parent? Like, it, it just help making sure, like, these consequences, if you fail, that's going to be really, we don't want you to, so we're going to take away those consequences. Uh, or I had another uh, friend, one of my teammates growing up, and uh, from the time we were 16 to 18, so two years, junior and senior year of high school, his parents bought him three, count them, three brand new cars, and he wrecked all three of them from drinking and driving. And every single time that he would wreck a brand new car, his parents would say, oh, we still love you, and they would buy him a new one. Is that setting that kid up? For success is that good love? It's so like, like obviously, parents need to have some sort of boundaries. And so, what we would say uh, is this: is that yeah, God loves us enough. God gives us loves us enough to give us a choice. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about the Garden of Eden and uh, Adam and Eve. That God didn't create us as like Stepford wives and Stepford husbands and just kind of make us robotic where we have no control. God lays out a choice of, here's the way I want you to live, but then you are free to live any way you want. Love doesn't control or manipulate. God, love gives a choice. And love gives rules, gives guidelines of, here's the way I want you to live. And love can get angry, but anger, we're going to kind of reframe this, redefine this for some of us. Anger is always defined as giving over of consequences. That God's anger is saying, you know what? You haven't done your homework. I wanted you to. That's going to, I'm going to allow you to fail this class with the hope that you learn something. I'm going to allow you to not drive anywhere. You get to take your butt on the bus for the next little bit because I want you to learn. And over and over again, that's how God's anger and wrath is described in the Bible. Uh, there's a bunch of resources that I want to point you to. There's some of them are on the back of your program. There's one uh, podcast that I put in your uh, email that you can check out if you're a podcaster. It's called Save from God's Wrath, and it does a great job of just talking about how all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that this is how God's wrath is defined, is that God loves us enough to let us do whatever we want. And God doesn't want anything to ever hurt us, but God loves us enough to allow us the choice. Uh, Paul talks about this in uh, the first chapter of Romans, where he says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wicked of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And the idea is that you can see as you look around the world that if people choose to live in a way that's counter to what God tells us to live, then there is consequences to that. And that consequence looks like is defined by anger and wrath. Uh, and you can see this if you take a couple uh, examples. Uh, if you look in our program, uh, each week in our program, we list a handful of tools that we think would help you to be able to follow who God is. Uh, they are rules. They are guidelines. They are things that God says, this is what I want you to do. And so one of them we talk about is the idea of the Sabbath. 
And so God makes a rule. Thou shalt each week take one day a week off. One week where you take a break, one day where you do no work, one week where you delight and where you have fun. And God says, if you do this, you will experience the consequences of having a life with a little bit more bandwidth, a little bit. This is the way I want you to live. And God gives us this choice. But we can choose to go any way we want. We can live however we want. So we can just bypass right by that. We say, I- I'm just going gonna, gonna to keep working. You know, I don't have time to take a day off. You know, I'm going to run myself to the ragged edge. I'm not going to sleep enough. I don't have time to enjoy. I don't have time for a vacation. I don't have time for a day off. I'm just going to go, 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 go. And if we do, then we're going to experience the consequences of what that looks like. And God doesn't want us to end up there. God wants to save us from that, but God loves us enough to let us choose to do that with the hope that we turn back. Uh, Or uh, we talk about generosity each week, and God talks about the way in which he wants us to spend our money, and that God doesn't want us just to, like, hoard all of our money. God doesn't want us to go in debt. God doesn't want us to spend our money on stuff that's, like, kind of worthless, but God wants us to intentionally give and be generous. And if we do then there is like amazing consequences of that. There's the good feeling we get from being generous. There's the, the, the things that God does in our hearts. There's the things that it does for the organizations that we give money to. When you give money to different nonprofits and organizations, and you're, there's so much good consequences of that. But if you decide to live any way you want, then there's the consequences of that too. Uh, and here's what Paul says. He says, so God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. And God's willing to let you kind of live in a way that will hurt you and will hurt your family. And some of us right now are even experiencing in our lives some of those consequences of anger, call it wrath, that we've been living in a way and our culture has been living in a way that is just giving up all kinds of destruction. And God loves us enough to let us do that. And that is the anger and that is the wrath of God. But God wants to save us from that. Uh, Here's what Jesus said. This is recorded by John. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the choice that we are like presented with, is that we can believe in God and go towards a way of eternal life right here, or we can live a life that has consequences and death. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't come for anger and vengeance to tell everybody how wrong they are. But God did come to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What you believe matters because it affects the way you live. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil 
hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what we have done has been done in the sight of God. This, hold on that for a second. This is why a belief in who God is matters so much. If God is vengeful, if God's trying to get even with you, if, who's going to want to stand before a God like that? But God is a God of love, of redemption, of restoration. God wants you to be open with the broken parts of your life because he wants to fix them and make them right. We can show God who we really are because God loves us. And then finally, whoever believes decides that they want to put their full belief in the Son. And what he says God is like, what he says the Bible is like, and wants to follow him and make him Lord over everything. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. By believing in God, you can experience eternal life right now. Or you can choose to reject the Son. And if you do, you will not see life. In God's wrath, the consequences that come from living in a way opposite of what God says the flourishing life is, it will remain on you. God wants to give you another way to live. God loves you. God is for you. God is not against you. And he is inviting you to a better way to live. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Help us to believe that you love us. That you love us unconditionally. And in the ways that we have gone against your will, in the ways that we have hurt ourselves or that we have hurt the people around us, it has produced really unfortunate consequences. And we don't want to keep living in those. Help us to know that you are a God who wants to come alongside and help us back and to fix and to restore. Help us to know how much you love us. To give us faith and belief in this God who is so, 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 Amen.